0: Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, sometimes redundancy is a real uh, learning technique. You know, when somebody goes to medical school, they redundantly cut on cadavers before they get a live person. And in the process, they really learn. And so uh, somebody has said many times through the years that Paul even said it a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. <laughs> and so I'm going to state something that you probably heard before, but it's very important we understand. I remember back uh, several years ago, actually, Paul wrote something, and uh, it wasn't something he published, but but I saw it, and it was such a wonderful truth, and I felt to share that with you this morning. He said that so many times we get things backward. Uh, in church, we focus the whole week towards Sunday, and uh, you know th- that uh, you know all of our energy is given towards Sunday. And so, a lot of times, the net result of that is, after Sunday, there's a letdown. But really, it's backwards. Sunday's the first day of the week, and Sunday really is launch day. It's a day to be impacted to where you can go live what has been put into you. And then a few years after that, I was really just pondering that, and, and I felt the Lord gave me some words that begin with G. He said, why do we gather? The Lord was asking me a question, and obviously, anything, anytime God asks a question, he's not looking for information. And so he, he said, why do we gather? And, and so these Gs came. First of all, we gather to glorify God. We gather because the family comes, and, and we glorify God. But we also gather to be girded. To be girded means to be strengthened and reinforced. You know, you can't make it alone in life. You need to be strengthened and reinforced. And you need to be goaded. The third thing you gather to be goaded. What is it to be goaded? It means to be prodded and pressed. And, and particularly today, I'm talking about the thing that hinders us. The thing that hinders us from gaining the inheritance that Jesus has left us. And it's the flesh. I'll tell you, this flesh will do whatever it's been trained to do. And in order to break out of that, we've got to have some prodding and pressing. And so why do we, and then he asked this question, why do you need to be uh, prodded and pressed and, and girded? And the reason is, is so that we will go give away what God has given to us. And so the focus of this church is not so that we can just have a meeting. The focus of this church is really, it revolves around Isaiah 61 of of building up people to where they can build up people, but it's all about the the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not even evangelism. Uh, Evangelism is part of the Great Commission, but the Great Commission is making disciples of all people groups. And, and the focus is not that the preachers just do that, but everybody does that. And, and I, I actually saw this one time. I saw this several years ago. It was a, it was a post. It was even on Twitter or on Facebook. And it was, a, it was a pastor wanting people to come. said, you can come and everything is taken care of. You know, we take care of your kids. Just come and sit and enjoy the service. And I thought that is so detrimental. It's good that the kids are taken care of. But, you know, we should not be people that want to just gather on Sunday and then it's over until next Sunday. No, this is an equipping time. This is a time to be impacted, to go live the life that God has called us to live. Uh, You know, Detroit doesn't care that we meet in here. Our impact is not in here. Our impact is out there. And so it's important that we're gathering, but to understand why we're gathering is so important. And so, uh, you know, we've been talking about our inheritance, and Paul talked about beautifully talked about what the book of Joshua teaches, that, that Moses had brought them to a certain place on the other side of the Jordan, and then God spoke to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you go. And so Joshua takes the people through, and there was an inheritance for them. Well, in in the New Covenant, our inheritance is not so much about stuff. God is a great provider. He really is. But we've seen, and we're going to see again today, that God's inheritance for us is the same as Jesus' inheritance, which is people. The Father gave the inheritance to Jesus, which is people, and our inheritance is people, making disciples of all people groups. And the the thing that hinders us is the flesh. And all flesh is the same. All flesh is the same. White flesh, black flesh, yellow flesh, green flesh, purple flesh, blue flesh. It's all the same. It stinks, (laughs) and it will hinder us from the stuff that God has for us. And so our main obstacle to possessing our inheritance is the flesh. I've got more slides than he does And, uh, but I I just want you to see a few things that I felt were pertinent. Uh, That first slide is the title. And in our growing in Christ, our development requires two things. First of all, we have to know who we are in Christ. We have to know who we are in Christ. That is Christianity 101. Just like you cannot progress into algebra unless you know math. You cannot progress in your walk with God unless you know who you are in Christ. Uh, Jesus, the Bible says in, in, a, in Ephesians 2, 6, that through the resurrection of Jesus, we have been raised up together with him, and we've been made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus. In other words, we're born again into a place of dominion. But we must walk it out because all authority is in Jesus. And so what has God done? He has put us in the heavenlies with Christ. That's our positional truth. We know we're down here. But our positional truth is that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So knowing who we are in Christ. And uh, I I learned under a man, and I served with him. I worked with him for several years. And I cannot tell you the number of times he made this statement, and it made such an impact on my life. First time I heard him say it, I didn't really understand what he meant. And he said, the church has got to become God inside-minded. Let me repeat that. The church has got to become God-inside-minded. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's talking about God the Holy Spirit because the, God is the Trinity and they're equal. God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit dwells in the temple of the Lord, which is the body of Christ. And so as I walk in this earth, I must understand I'm not living separate from God. That God lives on the inside of me, and it's learning to get in tune with the Spirit, break through that flesh and not let it have dominion, and get in tune with the Spirit to discover how I can live this life effectively for the King and do what He's called me to do. So, first, we need to know who we are in Christ, but we also need to know who we are in the flesh. Kurt, you're rotten. Rodney, you are rotten, and and so we do all sorts of things that are silly. We try to put our best foot forward. Now, my best foot is my left foot, because my right foot is deformed. I'm going to have surgery before long, because I've got a deformed ankle because of an injury and just being born wrong in anyway. And so, if I put my right, if I put my best foot forward, that means I'm hiding my ugly foot. And the reality is, is that none of us. Have any benefit except what Jesus has done in us. Amen. I like something Bill Johnson says. He said, I don't believe so much in self esteem or self confidence. He said, self confidence is wrong because self confidence is no bigger than self. He said, I believe in God confidence because confidence then is as big as God. And so it's not about me. It's not about you. We've heard that many times. So I need to know who I am in Christ, and I also need to know who I'm in the flesh. In the flesh, I am deficient. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. Derek Prince, I'm going to read this again. We read it last Sunday. Derek Prince said this related to the flesh and fasting. He said, Our bodies, with their physical organs and appetites, make wonderful servants but terrible masters. Thus it is necessary to keep them always in subjection. Fasting deals with the two great barriers to the Holy Spirit that are erected by man's carnal nature. So so fasting helps us get over those two great barriers. And what are those barriers? First of all, It's the stubborn self-will of the soul and the insistent self-gratifying appetites of the body. The stubborn self-will of the soul. The soul is made up of mind, will, and emotions. And the self-gratifying appetites of the body. And really the body functions in conjunction with the soul. The body by itself can't do anything. If you don't believe me, visit the morgue. Bodies, when the spirit and soul have moved out, they're just on their way back to dirt. And then he says this, rightly practiced, fasting helps bring both soul and body into subjection to the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not just about fasting. Fasting certainly helps. It helps us to bring soul and body into subjection to the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to live in subjection to the Holy Spirit. I mean, you look in the Old Testament; there would be an army coming up, and David would go before the Lord and say, "Lord, shall I go against this army?" And he would wait, and God would say, "Go." And then sometimes God would say, "Don't go." And so Paul, in one place, I think in the 16th chapter of the Book of Acts, he was trying to preach in this area, and. And it actually says the Spirit of God would not let him take the gospel to that area. And then another time he said to go to this area, but the Spirit would not allow him. And then in the dream, God gave him a vision to go to Macedonia. He showed a man in Macedonia crying out, come help us. And so Paul went, and the church at Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, Philippi first was planted, and a lot of work was done in that particular area. And this is not just for preachers. You know, I've heard testimonies of businessmen who do not invest until they hear from God. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, it's not crazy. God's interested in every aspect of your life. You know, so many times we say, well, I can't pray about that. God's not interested in that. You know, I've got a little granddaughter, five years old, and she's interested in dolls. I could give a flip about dolls. Okay? But because she loves dolls, because I love her, I'm going to get involved in dolls. And that's the way God is. There's all sorts of things in this life God could give a flip about, but because it's an interest to us and it's not sinful, it's not carnal, God will get involved with us to help us. God the Holy Spirit, His name is helper. And He's interested in doing that. Now, if you'll put the next slide up. Jesus said these three things in Matthew 6. He said, when, not if, you give money. He was talking to his disciples. Next, second slide. Second slide. There you go. No. Good. Yeah, that's it. Matthew 6, 3. He's talking to his disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when, not if, you give money. And then he said, when, not if, you pray. That's in verse 5. And then he said, when, not if, you fast. That's Matthew 6, 16. So giving, praying, fasting. When, not if. Giving, praying, and fasting. All of these are away from self-focus. Next slide. They're all away from self focused They're focused away from ourselves. If, if I really have a giving life, it's not about me. It's about sacrifice. Yes. There's time God asked me. He was talking about tithing, but tithing is not really giving. Tithing is returning to God what's his. Amen. Giving is above the tithe. And so when I give, I sacrifice. Yes. When I pray, pray, the biblical way of praying is not so much about me. Obviously, if we, we can pray, we can ask God, but as you grow, more and more praying is, is out there. It's about the nations. It's about praying for people. It's It's giving time. It's laying your life down for others. And then fasting. Fasting's not about me. You know, I love to eat. And I'll be honest with you. I can get busy in life. I can get busy, and I can miss even two meals and not even think about it. But the moment I decide to fast, I'm hungry before breakfast. Okay? <laughs> But it's, it's sacrifice. It's building away from ourselves. And that's what develops maturity. Amen. The more I live for myself, the more immature I am. That's our pro- That's a problem in the world. It's selfishness. Now, th- you don't have this life. And I, I just want to, I want to encourage you. I even want to challenge you. If, if giving and praying and fasting is not really a part of your life. You know, I, I, I knew a man years ago, and he actually knew this man. He was telling me this story, that this man actually tacked over his headboard. God, you know what I've said every time I go to bed, every time I get up, there it is. Now you read it. And he wrote out what he said. And it was just a rote prayer. It was like when we were growing up. The silliest prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die, five years old, if I should die before <laughs> I wake. I'm not talking about that kind of a prayer. I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about having an intimacy with God, speaking to him your heart, and then listening to him. Develop that, develop that. Giving, praying, and fasting. I challenge you to regularly, daily, not daily fast necessarily, but you know, I've been encouraged that even after this fasting season, I'm going to incorporate fasting into my life on a monthly basis. Of certain days a month, I'm going to be fasting. I encourage you to do that. Now, if you'll put up the, the, the next one. This is a, a wonderful thing that has been put together. Paul Minda, um, these are the five bullet points that we're focusing on right now. First of all, every member of BCC... Giving and receiving life-giving discipleship. Being discipled and making disciples. It's it's what God has called all of us to do. It's helping people. It's, it's, It's giving your life in Christ away to others so they can give their life in Christ away to others. Then secondly, develop our present spheres of influence. Now, as a church, our main spheres of influence are Durfee Elementary School, functioning in various capacities there, and also Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, uh, discipling individuals there. And then your sphere of influence in your life, it can develop. I mean, there can be things you're doing we're not even doing. You don't need to get permission from us to do that. And then secondly, thirdly, we break into new spheres of influence, both corporately and individually. It's amazing what God will open up for you. And then nextly, demonstrations of power or glory or demonstrations of the supernatural or manifestations of the Holy Spirit, however you want to say that. In other words, God is a powerful God and he lives on the inside of us and he wants to manifest himself. The supernatural is really one of the key things that caused so many people to come to Christ in the New Testament. And even today, (laughs) even today. And then lastly, new, new followers of Jesus. Developing new flower, f- followers of Jesus. You know, we, we're not trying to build a church here <coughs> with people shifting from other churches. Now that can happen in a proper way. But the best way to build a church is to is to is to raise up new converts win people to Jesus and disciple them and then they begin to disciple others amen now all of these leave that five, those things yeah all of these all five of these things all of these they will they will become a part of us as we regularly read declare and pray into these points of purpose on a daily basis. I mean, this is what God has put us here for. Why are you at Border City Church? You're here to be His hands and feet in the area that He's called us to. And this is the vision that leadership has given us, and it's a godly vision. This is about impacting a culture. And if it's just five bullet points that you're not familiar with, so daily we should be. And I, I'm not giving you a requirement. I'm just telling you how this can become reality to you. Daily read into it, uh, read it, declare it, and pray into these five bullet points. And ask God to show you these things. Ask God to show you, how do I fit into these? How can I? No, 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 no. Uh, Oh, I didn't know you had that one. Yeah, it is right, but I, I think I might have sent you my notes. How many slides do you have? How much? No, you've got, I sent you the wrong one, but that's fine. It's okay. It doesn't make any difference. I always have different slides than you do. So how do I fit into these? That's fine. You put a, go ahead and put that up. How, what is God's will for me in these things? How how can I be a maker of disciples? How how can I, little old me, do that? Let me tell you something. This is no kidding. You can ask Nita. How can little old me stand before you and preach? I remember years ago when I was pastoring. I went through a time when I was confident in myself, and I lost the fear of of standing and speaking for the Lord. And it showed. And so I fear losing that. And so I'm, I'm always, every time, every time she's with me, and I feel naked when she's not with me, especially when I minister. Every time during the service, during praise and worship, I take her hand. And I say, you really got to pray for me. Because little old me is just like little old you. I have to depend upon the Lord and the gifts he's put in you, you, in me. But you say, yeah, you've got gifts. I'm going to tell you something. The only difference between people that are in leadership and those that aren't is gifting and function. I may have gifts and functions you don't have, but you've got gifts and functions I don't have. We're not some super class of people. We're frail God is the one that we depend on. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You say, how do I fit into these? What is your will for me in these? And then begin to put them into practice, even if it's with baby steps. Even if it's with baby steps. You don't need to put the next slide up. Reading this, you may think, well, I, I will never be used by God in this. I want to give you two personal testimonies. I went to a, a cutting-edge Bible school in 1974. I mean, it was amazing. Um, had 52 students. <laughs> uh, three years later, it had 2,000. And it, it, was, it, was, it was, it was life-changing for me. And so from September of 1974 until January of 1975, I sat there in class and we also had, you know, the, the man who, who started that school, he, he would have public meetings, and, you know, large crowds come into the church where we were meeting. And sometimes I would assist him, and, and I saw some of the most astonishing miracles. I mean, as close as you. I was working with him in the, in the line, and, I mean, people just dramatically healed of unbelievable conditions. And it really impacted me. But I sat there in class and I was enjoying it. But something happened in January of 1975. One day I was sitting in class and the penny dropped. It just dawned on me, you're not here just to hear this and see this. God's called you to this. God's called you to declare the good news. God's called you to pray for people. God's called you to take the gospel to the nations. So the penny dropped. So you sit in there and say, how can God ever use me? Well, I was asking the same question. And then early, not long after that, probably uh, the next year after I graduated from school, I was praying one day, and, and I had a vision, a vision in here, not a visual vision. <laughs> and, and I promise you, when you get to heaven, it's not going to be the way I'm going to share what I saw in the vision. But I I was walking to these massive doors, and I mean, they were so tall, you couldn't see the height of them. And as I got close, I was, two angels came and began to escort me. And as we got close to those doors, they opened of their own accord. And I walked in, and there was a humongous round table. It was like a boardroom. But as a round table, I could not see the corners. I mean, it was so, so vast. And then everywhere there were filing cabinets. I don't believe there's going to be a big round table or filing cabinets in heaven. But on this, at this round table, there were, there were chairs, many chairs. And before every chair, there were stacks of paper. Some were short, some were medium, some were high. And there was a chair there for me. So I sat down and the presence of the Lord was there. God was with me and God was with everybody personally at the same time. So I began to ask questions. I said, Lord, what are these chairs? He said, there's a place here for every single one of my children. This is the throne room of heaven. He said, there's a place here for people to come and to commune with me, to pray with me, to hear me. He said, if you'll notice, most chairs are not occupied. And that was the reality. There were a few chairs, not many were occupied. He said, many of my people don't come. And then, said, what are these stacks of paper? He said, well, the short stacks are where people come regularly. So he these said, these are assignments. These are things that I have given. Ephesians 2 says that God has For by grace, we're saved through faith, and he saved us. And before the foundation of the world, he had works for us to do. He said, these are things that my people, I've called them to do. Short stacks, people come regularly. Medium stacks, people come less frequently. And, And large stacks, people don't come much at all. And I said, what about these filing cabinets? He said they're filled. They're filled with things yet to be done but have to be accomplished. And I'm looking for people to do them. So that really impacted me. It really impacted me. See, prayer's not a ritual. It's, it's a time of communion. But you have to break through the flesh. The flesh wants to keep us out of the prayer closet. The flesh wants to keep us away from a meaningful time of prayer. We're too busy or we're too lazy or whatever the case may be. But the flesh can be broken. Fasting's part of it, but there's more than that. And then Psalm 2.8, Paul shared this, but it's such a fundamental verse. This is Jehovah speaking. Ask of me, Jehovah says, And I will give you, you as Jesus, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And and because it's Jesus' inheritance, it's our inheritance because we're one with him. So Isaiah 49, 6, this is so pertinent in that same context. Isaiah 49, every, everybody, all the Bible scholars say this is clearly a messianic passage. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you, this is the prophet speaking for God, you is Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you, God Jehovah is saying to Jesus, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is the same word as nations. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word Goy, And it means nations. Uh, obviously, it was a non-Jew in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's anybody who doesn't have a covenant with God. It's... Somebody outside of the covenants of promise. I will give you as a light to the nations that you would be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So that was the call that was upon Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 13, verses 46 and 47, Paul and Barnabas on their first apostolic mission. In verse 46, Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And they were speaking to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles or to the nations. For so the Lord has commanded us. And so what Paul and Barnabas do is that they make what Isaiah wrote concerning Jesus their own Now how could they do that? Because they had a revelation. There's only one ministry in the earth and that's the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had the ministry and he passed the ministry on to his disciples when he gave the Great Commission. And every generation we walk and live in the ministry of Jesus because we are the body of Christ and we are powered by the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us just like he did in Jesus. And so they say this, taking it for themselves, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles or the nations, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you know that God has called you to be light? Jesus himself said, you are the light of the world. He called us the salt of the earth. But we are for salvation to the ends of the earth because we're carriers of the life of God. We don't pray, God, go, send Jesus. I mean, God can send people to places we cannot go. But we're here because we're the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of the living God. We sing about that, but we've got to understand. That's why it's so important to understand to be God inside-minded. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. He wants to use us. He wants to use every one of us. That's why when in, in Mark 16... It says, you shall lay hands on the sick. I'm not trying to say that that's not for Christians to lay hands on other Christians, but in the context it was given, it was given to the disciples to go into the world and lay hands on people that don't have the Holy Spirit, the one who gives life, the one who is the healer. People or the nations. They are Jesus and our God-given inheritance. They're the inheritance that God has given us, the inheritance that God gave Jesus. And since we are in him, one with him, they too are our inheritance for him. And there's two C's. I've said this here before, but it's such an important thing to understand. There's two C's that keep us from God's purposes. And I think they're the two C's that are driving the world crazy and occupying the world with things that don't really matter, and number one is comfort and convenience. Mm. Neither comfort nor convenience is wrong, but when I make it a priority and when I am, demand comfort and convenience at the expense of obedience, it is wrong. Yeah. It is wrong. To serve God is uncomfortable. Yep. There'll be requirements. Uh, I, I just thought of this, Mickey. We were standing at DRMM yesterday after the meeting, sorting, of having a debrief, and one of the guys, was out of gasoline and uh, he came up and he said I've got to get to work it can, he said but I'm out of gas can anybody take me well Mickey could we could not and so Mickey just took him to work that's not convenient Joy Road and somewhere wasn't close and so what I'm saying is serving God is not convenient we were made to serve others it wasn't, for con- it wasn't convenient for Jesus to leave heaven There was not a thing about us that Jesus was enamored with. He didn't say, oh, I've got to get Rodney Lloyd. He's such a hot item. No, not at all. Our great obstacle to possessing our inheritance is the flesh. And what is flesh? Well, I call it a dastardly duo. It's the unrenewed part of our soul and its stubborn self-will And the incessant appetites of the body. The the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And a lot of that is unrenewed. We've we've not developed in that. And the unrenewed part of our soul and the incessant appetites of the body that's the flesh. Now, listen to what Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9 have to say. It, It is so clear. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So, what that's saying is if I'm living according to the flesh, it's because I have set my mind on fleshly things. I can't say the devil made me do it, I can't say I'm a victim of circumstances. It's because I have set my mind on what the flesh desires. And obviously there are wicked things like adultery, fornication, there's lust, all of that. But you know, anything, the flesh can get wrapped up in anything and put it in a wrong priority to where it becomes a sinful thing and it's a fleshly thing. So those that are living according to the flesh is because they have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And in the context of what we're talking about here, I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit desires. The Holy Spirit desires every one of us to be active, to be active, engaging people to win them to Jesus, to disciple them, to serve them, to lay our lives down for them. That's what the Spirit of God is desiring. The mind governed by the flesh is death. It's not just death in the sense that you drop over dead. It can lead to that. But it's it's incipient death, death on the way. There are people walking around. They have blood still pumping in their hearts, but they're walking around dead because they're focused on things of the world that are carnal and it's destructive. And Christians are the same. I, I, was, I saw an, advert the other, an advertisement the other day for a TV program. I won't mention it because it may be your favorite one. I don't want <laughs> you to feel guilty. But <laughs> the ad talked about, you know, the seven, the seven sins, lust, greed, whatever, avarice, hold of those. It said, this week we have all of them I mean, this is a super popular program. And I know a lot of people that watch this regularly, and they said, we have all of them. And I thought, well, you know, that that should be a a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, we had I Love Lucy. And the standards in those days, I Love Lucy, Ricky and Lucy could not even be in the same bed together. They had, they had twin beds pushed together and they had to have pajamas on. The standards have changed. But it didn't happen overnight. Gradual. It's like, it's like a frog. How do you cook a frog? You turn it on very slowly. If you want to cook it alive, you just turn the heat up slowly and slowly and slowly, slowly, and he gets desensitized to where he can't jump out. And so that's what's happened. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Hostility towards God. And there is, I mean, is there hostility towards God in our culture? Anything godly? Yeah. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Listen to this. You, however, this is a positional truth. It's not saying that if you're a Christian, you can't get in the flesh. It's not saying that. It's saying you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And I want to tell you, the Spirit of God lives inside you. So you are in the realm of the Spirit. We can choose to go into the realm of the flesh if we choose. Right but we're denying who we really are. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 10. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but this is, these are such fundamental things. In Colossians 3, 1, it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, and you have. If you're born again, you've been resurrected with Jesus. You're a new person. You may act somewhat like the old person. As you grow, you act less like that old person. We all have capacity to be carnal. But we have been resurrected. We're, Paul shared his testimony yesterday morning. I'd never heard that one element of it that you shared that all of a sudden I, I was just a different person, and I knew it. and it was just something, and that, that's the way it is. I remember the morning I woke up after I'd been born again. The world was different. I was different. It was like living on a new planet. So we've been resurrected with Christ. So what are we supposed to do? Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, that doesn't mean start thinking about heaven. It doesn't mean thinking about the streets of gold and the, and the, and the jeweled walls. That's not what it's talking about. What do we set our minds on? The things that are above. Well, First of all, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have been brought into relationship with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in setting our mind upon Him that we have strength and courage to do what He's called us to do. not supposed to think about streets of gold. When you get to heaven, you won't even notice them. Gold is of so little value up there, they make pavement out of. So you're not enamored with asphalt up there. You will not notice those things. We'll be caught up in his presence. And so we should live here with the values that are there. That's part of heaven coming to earth. Why? Why is it that we need to do that? Because we died. We died when we met Jesus and we became alive a new person. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, because of that, what does verse 5 say? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, greed, which is idolatry. In other words, to, to have your heart set on more possessions or a specific possession to such an extent that you're totally preoccupied with that, it's like putting a Buddha up here and getting down and worshiping it. which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So we are new. And so all of those things he listed are because we have our mindset on earthly things. We have our mindset in the wrong place. Now, let me give you some remarkable remarks from the scripture concerning the flesh. Romans seven eighteen, Paul said this. Paul, the great apostle, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's talking about within himself. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 29, no flesh can boast before God. I can't stand before God and talk about my accomplishments. And then Romans 3, 10, there are none righteous, not even one. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 18, when the rich young ruler came up to him and said, good teacher, he said, there's none good but God. Because that good teacher was speaking to him in his humanity. And Jesus was saying, no, there's only one good, and that's God. And then Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's worship. It's like Abraham when he went up to offer Isaac. He said, we're going to go up there and worship. He didn't go sing songs or play guitar. He took his whole, he took everything, who he was, his future, and he laid it on the altar and depended on God to raise it up. So true worship, and I'm not, listen, thank God for worship, thank God for singing, but you can sing songs and not worship. This says that my worship is that I live my life as a sacrifice to God. Living sacrificially. Our natural tendency is to keep our bodies for ourselves. Finding as much pleasure with as little sacrifice as possible. That's our natural tendency. Making leisure and recreation a top priority. There's nothing wrong with recreation. There's nothing wrong with leisure. But to make that the top priority. I mean, a a lot of people at the very basic level miss church regularly for leisure and recreation not trying to throw any stones here I'm just simply saying that that's something that's out of whack there and if I'll do that about meeting on Sunday morning then I'll do that about I can remember times as a pastor years ago that if I was doing something I like to do and somebody called with a need I didn't want to go do it and sometimes I didn't do it that's carnal God doesn't want us to be like that. Fasting as a way of life can help us break this. As a way of life. Because food has such a powerful hold on us. Listen what happened to Esau. Hebrews 12, 16. Make sure that no one is as concerned about earthly things as Esau was. What did he do? He sold his inheritance rights as the firstborn son for a single meal. He came in very tired. Jacob was there making stew, and he wanted it so bad. And Jacob, his name was conniver. He was a (laughs) conniver. He cheated him out of his birthright, but Esau gave it up because he was more interested in food than in the inheritance that had been given to him. Therefore, Jacob got the inheritance. So food can really mislead us. Actually, overabundance of food was one of the five sins of Sodom that led to their abominable practices. This is Ezekiel 16 or 19.6. It says, what were the sins of Sodom? It starts with pride. All sin starts with pride. Secondly, overabundance of food. Thirdly, prosperity and idleness. Fourthly, they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And fifthly, they were haughty. Haughtiness is pride on steroids. And all of these led to abominable offenses. Well, Ezekiel describes Sodom to be very much like our culture today. Food can be a real hindrance to us. It can make us unhealthy, but our, our dependence on it, we can, it'll make us sluggish. And so depriving the body helps us break the power of the flesh. Now, you don't need to put that last one up. He, he got that, okay. Three days after the children of Israel were delivered by God from Egypt, he passed them through the Red Sea. Before that, he had sent all of these plagues, and it was by a mighty, uplifted arm that God delivered the children of Israel. And just three days after their deliverance, they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're thirsty, and they come to a place called Marah, And they drank the water, and it was bitter. And so rather than depending upon the God who had split the Red Sea and all the other things to deliver them, what did they do? They moaned and they complained. They said, what are we going to drink? They were focused on the flesh. And in the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus talks about not worrying about what we eat, what we drink, what are we going to wear? And he actually says this, he said, because those things are what the Gentiles, people without a covenant with God, are always focused on. If he wrote it today, he would not only say, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are you going to wear? What are you going to drive? Where are you going to live? He says, for all those things, the people without a covenant with me are seeking after those things. But then he said this, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. And what he's saying is this, if you'll get busy with my business, I'll take care of your business. And it's by getting involved with God's inheritance for us, which is his inheritance, of serving people to impact their lives, to win them to Jesus and to disciple them, will really set us free from being so preoccupied with the lack that all of us can face. Paul said, I know how to abound, but he said, I also know how to be abased. He didn't always have money in the bank. And we're, we're, we're so geared towards that, that when lack comes knocking, we worry. And I, I've been guilty myself. We worry more than we continue on in the things of God. So I just really want to challenge you with that, with, with that today. It's not just fasting we're doing but let not any longer the flesh dictate to you what you're going to do. You dictate to your flesh what you're going to do. I can remember when we began to learn some of these truths years ago, especially the principle of speaking. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. Jesus spoke to Satan when he was tempted. We learned the value of speaking. And there have been times that my flesh wanted to do something and you think I'm crazy, I'm sorry. I lost my mind a long time ago for Jesus. But I would speak to my body and say, no, you're not going to give in to that. You're not going to give in to that. You're not going to give in to that. There is power in speaking God's word. Amen. So whatever the means, whatever it is that it takes, don't let the flesh dominate your life. It will keep you out of the inheritance that God has for you.